0: welcome to the North Decatur Presbyterian Church Sermon Series. We're a PCUSA congregation in Decatur, Georgia. If you'd like to find out more about us, go to ndpc.org or just come by and visit. Here's this week's sermon. From the prophet Isaiah, beginning in the 40th chapter. Comfort. Oh, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that she has served her term, that her penalty is paid, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries out, In the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. Then the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all people shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Get you up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good tidings. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good tidings. Lift it up, do not fear. Say to the cities of Judah, here is your God. See, the Lord God comes with might. God's arm rules. God's reward is with God, and God's recompense goes before the Lord. God will feed the flock like a shepherd. God will gather the lambs up into God's arms and carry them in God's chest and God will gently lead the mother sheep. That's the word of God for us, the people of God. Together we say, thanks be to God. I don't know if it's possible for me to convey to you how important This passage is in the Bible. But I'm going to try. Because if you don't grasp what's at stake here in the beginning of Isaiah 40, then you miss one of the keys for understanding the entire arc of the Scripture. Now, if you were to sit down and try to read Isaiah the first thing you would notice is that it's big. Sixty-six chapters long, this book of the prophet Isaiah. And if you were to sit down and diligently attempt to read it as though it were a novel, you would probably notice, as astute as you are, you would probably notice that there are gaps here and there in the text. Places where the place names change, where the characters suddenly change. Well, thanks to the last 100 or more years of biblical scholarship of people like Bill Brown and others, we now know that Isaiah is like this because it's stitched together in three different parts, written by three different authors at three different periods in Israel's history into one book we call Isaiah. But each of these three parts tells the story of God's people as we struggle under the pressure of foreign military powers. One of the main gaps in Isaiah is between the last word of chapter 39 and the first word of chapter 40. By the end of chapter 39, if we were to go back and read it this morning, you can do that later, you'll see that a feeling of doom hangs over the text. The prophet is warning the king, King Hezekiah at the time, and the people with him that they will face calamity. The armies of Babylon will close in, Isaiah says to the king. Days are coming when all that is in your house and all that your ancestors have stored up until this day shall be carried to Babylon. And then Isaiah says, nothing will be left. And then the text goes silent. But that silence That gap between chapters 39 and 40 was not silent at all. In that gap is the destruction of the entire city of Jerusalem and with it, a people's way of life. The Babylonian armies did march into Jerusalem and seize it, Thousands of people were butchered. Bodies were desecrated. Archaeologists working today are quite sure that based on the evidence, the entire city of Jerusalem was leveled. So I don't know what comes to your mind when you hear something like that. I confess that for me, sometimes when I hear stories about this from a long time ago, my first response is a little bit of emotional remove. You think, well, you know, conquests, they were just kind of a part of life back in old times. Life back then was nasty and brutish and short. And people and armies did all kinds of horrible things to each other, but, you know, I'm not sure if it matters to me. Does it matter to us what Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonian armies did to Isaiah's people? Before you write it off in your mind, I want to show you a few pictures That's Hiroshima. That's Dresden after the firebombing. This is a couple months ago in the Ukraine. This is in the Tigray region in Ethiopia. This is Myanmar. Maybe it is hard to feel close to women and men and children who lived 2,500 years ago, or maybe not. Maybe we can understand what it means to have the lives of your loved ones taken. We can access what it feels like when we are afraid that human brutality is winning out over human goodness. We can even feel what it was like for our ancestors to watch as their temple was destroyed. The temple, the sanctuary, the home of God, the God who had saved them from slavery in Egypt the God who had journeyed with them all those years in the wilderness, the temple that people came to to be present for the God who was present for them, we can know what it's like when something sacred is desecrated. God had made a promise to our ancestors Abraham and Jacob and David, I will always be with you. And then the Babylonian army came and destroyed everything. Homes, food supply, the sanctuary, human lives, even their story. There was, as Isaiah warned, nothing left. Isaiah never discusses the fall of Jerusalem directly, but the Bible surely does. There is plenty in the scripture to document the catastrophe. Jeremiah watches it. Psalm 137 says, by the rivers of Babylon, we sat down and we wept. Read the rage of Job, who loses everything in his life. Read about Rachel, who refuses to be comforted in her grief. And by all means, read the book of Lamentations. The scriptures hold on to the memory of the emotional devastation of the exile. The exile is not just death. It is the death of everything that brings comfort. Every year in Advent, we sing a particular song. The roots of this song are in the eighth century in the monasteries of Europe. And I have to admit that whenever we sing it, it guts me. The first few lines of this song in its minor key for me somehow contain all of the despair and the desperation and the hopelessness. That silence at the end of chapter 39 and all that it holds. That silence is what makes the first word of chapter 40 so breathtaking. Comfort. Oh comfort my people as your God. I've always believed that words make worlds. We're never allowed to use words irresponsibly. We can't call up, down, and we can't say that what is wrong is actually right. But words, when we use them well, they make things in this world. And in the life of faith, words allow us to find something that is hidden. Words reveal something that we cannot see. A voice that we have been unable to hear. Comfort my people. That is God's voice. That is God speaking. The writer of this passage in Isaiah, Walter Brueggemann says, did something remarkable. This writer violated the entire perceptual field of his community. How? Isaiah does it by comforting the disconsolate Isaiah speaks to Rachel, who had refused all comfort. Isaiah speaks into the depths of Job's anguish. Isaiah says to the mourners, who for three generations had sat by the waters of Babylon and wept, he says, the time has come to pick up your harps again and to sing. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for God. Every valley shall be lifted up. Every mountain and hill made low. The uneven ground shall become level. And the rough places a plain. The glory of the Lord shall be revealed. And all of us will see it together. God will bring us home. Our story is not over. This remarkable word that Isaiah uses to announce our coming home is comfort. We always use this word like we're talking about a pair of slippers. But this word means to strengthen. To make strong those who feel weak. To lift up those of us who have been made to feel low. To fill up those of us who are hungry with good things. Comfort is the divine presence that knit you together in your mother's womb and knows you by name. Comfort is a shepherd who gathers you up in their arms and gently leads you home. Comfort is a love that no power, no principality, no ruler ever defeats. 500 years after the exile. A man named John, who was a bit of a wild man, but oddly attuned, just like Isaiah was to the presence of God in the most unlikely places. John stood knee deep in the Jordan River, and he knew, just like Isaiah knew, that the hidden God does not remain hidden. He knew that the silent God does not remain silent forever. And so John drew on those words from Isaiah using those same words that had once made a world and he said to the people, prepare the way of the Lord. There is someone coming and with him Comes the whole power, the whole comfort of God, and all of us will see it together. Oh, come.